Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Kara in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody out there, and may I welcome you once again to our show. We've got a power-packed episode in store for you today. So without any further ado, let me bring in my brother, K.J. Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you, Bill? Very good, Kev. You know, for the people out there who don't know me, and for those who are sick of me saying it, (laughs) I I have authored a series of books bearing the same name as our podcast, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters. All of them are available on Amazon in paperback and ebook. And if you're an Audible buff... You could get volumes one through six and hopefully shortly volume seven at Audible iTunes and Amazon as well. So do partake of them. Kev, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Bill. I'm out at the coast. Um, so it's always good to get out to get out to the coast. Been out here for a couple of hours and uh, it's a little warmer out here. You probably won't, don't want to know that. Certainly no snow. Uh-huh. Um, but all is all is good. Yeah, it was, was good. It was nice before we began the show uh, to hear the uh, choppers going over your house again. Yeah, the Marine Corps. Thank you for your service. Yeah, excellent, man. I love coming it. over in uh, Cobra gunships. <laughs> yeah, as long as they're coming over and not coming at you. No, no, <laughs> I would not want to be uh, the enemy with those Cobra gunships, the Apache gunships. That come over, oh my goodness, you would not want to see one of those pop up over the treetops yeah. if you were on the other side. You know, that that in particular, Kev, is really the most awesome thing. You know, when they dip behind the tree line oh, and yeah. then rise up like surprise, surprise. Hello, how are you? <laughs> that that's your worst nightmare, man. Time told- <laughs> to say time to say goodbye before these hellfire missiles hit you. The only thing worse than that could be a Bigfoot coming up over a log. Yeah, maybe with a rocket launcher on its back. <laughs> and speaking of that, folks, you know, uh, if you listen to our podcast, was it the last show, Kev, I was talking about the uh, people sending us in drawings of a, a Bigfoot oh, yeah. and a flying saucer? Yeah. Oh, my. Oh, my gosh, folks. Like, what awesome turnout. I mean, we you just like I have too many things to do. I always complain about that <laughs> a little bit because I love doing this. Yeah. But of course, I have the full time job. But I got to figure out how to get some T-shirts made and get permission <laughs> from you folks that sent in the artwork because, uh, you know, Bill asked for a Bigfoot 
fly in an open cockpit flying saucer with some goggles on. <laughs> and I'm telling you, they are fantastic. <laughs> like, I mean, it's like like the better than I could ever imagine, Bill. Yeah, I mean, you know, and it, it just goes to show you, Kev, I am so appreciative of the audience we have in every regard, in every sense of the word, because there are people out there that get skills and gifts uh, that you and I will never know about. No, and we get dozens of these, like, beautiful artwork, you know, ready, ready (laughs) to be hung on the wall, put on a T-shirt. I mean, I got a few of them printed out on my refrigerator, Bill. I'm like, (laughs) these things are awesome. Like, I just smile when I see them. Yeah, and how about, uh, uh, well, I actually spoke to Little Eddie's father, who is a lobster man uh, on a small small island off the coast of Maine, and a big shout-out to Little Eddie and his dad. Uh, <laughs> Little Eddie, a 10-year-old, listens to the podcast with his dad, and when he heard that, he broke out his pencil and his paper and started drawing up Bigfoot. Yeah, went straight to work. That was one of the first <laughs> ones we got in, Little yeah. Eddie. And that thing is fantastic, too. Yeah, and That's little, also hanging on my fridge. Yeah, Little Eddie, if you're listening, and I know you are, I got a little surprise coming your way. <laughs> so watch your mailbox over the next few weeks. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just really excited about that. I mean, just it doesn't end the length breadth and depth of the audience that we have. No, and it just keeps us going, Bill. Like, you know, we did that shout out. I mean, I know our audience is fantastic. But then when these images started to show up, I was like, holy (laughs) cow. And I would like hit them on the printer. I'd like show them to the rest of the family. I'm like, check this out. And they're like, you didn't create that. I'm like, no, I definitely didn't create that. Yeah, mine would have been a stick figure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Awesome. Yeah, and, you know, one of the coolest things about computers this day is, like, uh, somebody will write in, hey, Bill, this is Joe from uh, uh, Saskatchewan. Uh, I I hope you don't mind, but I sent you over my rendition of your Sasquatch flying a saucer. And then you just hit the link, and wham, this thing takes up your monitor, and you're like, Whoa! <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, I mean, I'm glad you brought it up. I was going to, of course, I'm going to talk about some of it in the listener mail segment, but I was like, this stuff was so fantastic. We got to talk about it up front. Absolutely, man. So yeah, super cool. So that's good. I mean, I'm glad we got to it. And why don't we uh, take a hop, skip, and a jump headlong into cryptids in the news and other oddities? Uh... Are we ready for some creepiness tonight? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is a creep fest, Bill. I was going to tell you, like, as I was getting this stuff together again for this uh, broadcast tonight, I uh, had some chills, and not because it's cold <laughs> out. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> let me put on my black cape. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to get a cross out and put it nearby. <laughs> <laughs> I got mine around my neck, let's just say that. <laughs> All right, what do you got, bro? We're going to talk about the Bell Witch. Uh, <laughs> uh, that is creep. Oh, man. And let's just say I've been sitting around reading the 1894 publication by M.V. Ingram 
called the authenticated version of the Bell Witch. Well, that's where you want to go, deep into the past. (laughs) I mean, you read passages of this book, Bill, and it gives you chills. I mean, you know me. Maybe it doesn't give all the listeners chills. I'm not afraid of a lot of stuff. This, like, uh, what I think is satanic stuff, it scares the bejesus out of me. (laughs) Yeah, and with good reason, you know. Well, I know. That's what I was going to say. Like, you can't convince me otherwise. Don't tell me, oh, don't worry about it. It's like, oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a reality, you know. Yeah. So fire away. Yeah, so this book uh, by M.V. Ingram was written in 1894, as I mentioned, the authenticated version of The Bell Witch. And we're going to talk about uh, some stuff that shows up lots of different places, uh, not just in the book. And um, it's interesting, although it was published in 1894, it, it covers events that covered, I'm sorry, it covers events that happened about 77 years prior. To the Bell family, namely the parents, John and Lucy Williams Bell. Mm -hmm. And they lived in a rural Tennessee town that's now called Adams. Okay. And and it's about 45 minutes by car north of Nashville, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Adams wasn't there back then when this stuff took place (laughs) in the early 1800s. And they were like really... Uh, they were settlers, you know, homesteaders. They were settlers, so it's pretty interesting, and I'll make a joke about it. But And this comes from, uh, what I'm going to talk about right now, comes from a publication by a gentleman named Pat Fitzhugh. Okay. And he's an author and researcher. And he wrote a little bit about uh, the Bell family, uh, both prior to the haunting and during the haunting as well. Uh-huh. And get this, so his family, John Bell and his family, he moved them from North Carolina to the Red River bottomland in Robertson County, Tennessee, and settled in the Red River community, which now you know is known as a place called Adams, Tennessee. Okay. And at the Little time, at town. the time, I guess it had no name. No, it, well, it was just called um, the Red River community because Red River runs through there. Okay. But now it's called Adams. But I think it didn't get the name until like fifty or sixty years later. Okay. But if you look for it, it's a little tiny town called Adams in uh, north of uh, Nashville. So, and he went down there. So, so, but you know, I got to make a joke, right? Because I'm uh, I'm living in North Carolina for the last 21 years. I love North Carolina. Um, you know, you leave North Carolina to go to Tennessee, you get haunted by a witch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Welcome. I mean, so, so sorry, John. I got to tell you, as a Tar Heel. Yeah, you know, you had it coming to you. Come on. It's your own fault. It's your own fault. What the heck? Why would you leave North Carolina? Now I'm going to get it. I'm going to get hate mail from Tennessee. But, you know, come on, Tennessee. I love you. I love Nashville. It's, it's all good. As they say around these parts of North Carolina, I like both kinds of music, both country and Western. <laughs> So John Bell goes there to Robertson County, Tennessee, and he buys basically a farm to, of about 325 acres of land. You know, big, big piece of land, clears out a number of the fields and uh, starts uh, planting some crops. And in fact, today I'm going to talk about the fact that Josh Gates and his crew on one of my favorite shows, Expedition X, went back there 
to uh, investigate the Bell Witch, and they crawled around in the cornfields of the original Bell property. All right. I don't know if you've seen that one. Have you seen that one, Bill? Well, I I have seen the property, and I have seen the house, ah. uh, which is really not much of anything, right? No, no, it's all gone now, basically. Yeah. yeah. But, so get this. So this all started one day in 1817. Long time ago, right? Mm-hmm. John Bell was out. You know, he's a farmer. He's looking at his cornfield, and he sees this crazy-looking animal in the middle of the cornrow. And the animal, get this, in different accounts, it says it's like a giant dog standing on its hind legs. And in some of the other accounts, it says it's a giant dog with the head of a rabbit. Well, in both accounts, it has glowing red (laughs) eyes. Eyes. Why? Why is it always the glowing red eyes? Uh, As soon as you say glowing red eyes, it's like I'm out of here. Yeah, it's just not normal. It's there's nothing normal normal about glowing red eyes. Oh, and oh, by the way, Bill, it's daytime. Nice. Sees this big black beast on its hind legs, standing up, looking at him with glowing red eyes. Now, fortunately, John, at that time, always carried more gun than he thought he was going to need. My kind of guy. Exactly. Takes out the rifle, fires several times, hitting this thing. And it disappears. Great. <laughs> Even better than the red yeah. eyes. Yeah, yeah. Poof. Now I shot at some kind of demonic creature and pissed it off, and it evaporated into thin air. Now, did it say which variety he shot at? The one with the rabbit head? Or no, the do- I'm just different accounts okay. cover it as something that looks like dog man with glowing red eyes, uh. and other accounts talk about it as like dog man with a rabbit head and glowing red eyes. Yeah, and I guarantee you this rabbit's head didn't look like Peter the Bunny Rabbit. <laughs> some type of fiendish You don't thing think with, it looked like Peter Rabbit no, with Mr. No, McGregor it, coming after it? It was some type of fiendish-looking thing with fangs and folded it ears It didn't have or that little you know. blue vest on? Yeah, yeah. With the embroidery on it? Bugs, <laughs> Bugs Bunny from hell. <laughs> <laughs> So after this happens, they start to have all of these uh, problems. Let's just call it problems yeah. in their house. Difficulties. Okay? And if you, uh, if you look at the book, there's a whole chapter just on uh, what happened here, and it's called Family Troubles, <laughs> chapter 7. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. Sounds like a soap opera, you know, yeah, like, no, it, like it's innocent. Named, Aptly named back in uh, uh, 1894, Family (laughs) Troubles. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And uh, I'd say Family Troubles. So the mysterious sounds started where they'd hear things in the walls. Okay, could be anything, right? Right. They'd have knocking at the door. They'd hear uh, voices, like whispering voices, but they couldn't really make out the sounds. 
the children, you know, they had several children at the time, would be screaming in the middle of the night. And they'd say that there were like there was something gnawing at their bedposts. And they'd go in there with the candle or the lamp, whatever they had back then. And they they had teeth marks like on their bedposts or scratch marks on their bedposts. Oh, boy. Yeah, not knowing what it was. And then they'd be sound asleep and they'd have their bed covers completely pulled off of them and their pillows thrown across the wall, uh, across the floor by some type of uh, invisible entity. Yeah. I mean, picture it, Kev. Picture being in that room, child or adult, and these things occurring. Yeah. Oh, man, alive. No, so it starts to get worse, okay? So um, the youngest daughter, poor Betsy Bell, she starts to have, like, more brutal encounters with this invisible entity. So it would, like, pull her hair and slap her face relentlessly, leaving welts and handprints on her face and body. Jeez. Yeah. And uh, so John Bell, you know, and he's an elder in the local church, you know, good family man. Again, it can't be all bad. He came over from North Carolina. Poor judgment <laughs> at best. <laughs> and uh, he shared his quote-unquote family trouble with his closest friend and neighbor, a gentleman by the name of James Johnston. Okay. And Johnston was pretty skeptical him and his wife were skeptical of what was going on, thought it was their imagination, et cetera, you know, tried to comfort them. And John said, listen, you, you and your wife come over here, spend the night or two at our place, and then tell me if I'm skeptical. And sure enough, they're there. They don't hear anything. Everything's nice and quiet. But then they retire for the evening and go to bed. And uh, the Johnstons experience the same terrifying sounds and encounters with this entity. Wow, so this thing was relentless. It didn't care who you were. Yep, relentless. And then the next morning, Mr. Johnson explains to the Bells that he thinks the culprit is likely, quote-unquote, an evil spirit, the kind the Bible talks about. Mm-hmm. I know that's shocking to you, Bill. <laughs> Not at all. I know. But, you know, I don't want to upset any of our listeners with my own beliefs, Kev. I know, I know. (laughs) I don't want to upset them either. But like I said, after reading this, I'm sitting here, I got a cross on the wall, and I got a cross around my neck. Yeah, you better believe it. Yeah. All right, so where are we going? (laughs) And if I had some silver bullets, I'd put them in my gun. (laughs) If I had some silver bullets, I would have shot them already. (laughs) (laughs) So this stuff happens. Uh, There's lots of different details of different encounters. But what's interesting is as John Bell starts to have this go on, because it goes on for a couple of years and word starts to get out and uh, around Tennessee and Kentucky and different people come in like uh, folks to do an exorcism and stuff like that, folks to see it. And the more and more attention that this spirit gets, this entity gets, they say that it gets more and more vocal and easier to understand. And they talk of these folks coming in and having like conversations with this entity, Bill. It was like gaining power. It was feeding off of them. Gaining power. It was feeding off of the attention and its voice. You know, it started out being whispers that they couldn't understand. And then you would hear different uh, full conversations with this creature. And at one point, 
they thought, or in the beginning, they thought it was, uh, and you'll see them or read them, read about them talking about it as the old Kate Bats witch, which apparently John Bell's neighbor early on when he moved in there was an old woman named Kate Bats. And for whatever reason, you know, like, like often people don't get along with one of their neighbors, right? You know, mm-hmm. like they say, fences make good neighbors. Um, um, they got along in, in a worse and worse way, right? John, John Bell and old Kate Bats. And then when Kate Bats passed away and they started to have these encounters, they started to talk about the fact that it was the old Kate Bats witch. Hmm. But in fact, when they started talking, different people started conversing with this entity. The entity, and I don't have the quote written down here, but it basically says, I am from here and there, you know, from everywhere. I was at rest uh, for a very long time, and now I am, an, I am awake. Um, you know, and it says things like that very clearly. So, you know, hmm. it's not really the old Cape Bats spirit. It's some other spirit that's been around. Now, there's theories that where they built the house and the community, it's on some Native American burial ground. I read about that in a few places, but I didn't see that like all over the place when I when I researched this. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing is, though, uh, uh, these types of entities usually just don't show up. They're invited guests. Yeah. They join the party after you invite them. So after you invite them when you're in a weak state or maybe vulnerable state. We don't know the whole history of the bells, but it doesn't even have to be the bells. Somebody in that area absolutely uh, could have brought that thing in. No doubt about it. Wow. The old Ouija board. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Welcome home. So so John over time gets more and more tormented by this entity to the point where like he starts to have a uh like a, a tick in his in his mouth, you know, where he's uh, uh twitching and stuff like that. Uh, where he develops a, a, a stutter and he can't speak. At one point, his tongue is completely swollen and he can't eat. And then uh, one night, he uh, one day, he actually goes into a coma, they describe it, and they find him the next day dead in bed. But what they also discover is a vial of some strange black liquid uh, on his bedstand which is some type of poison that they don't know about. Like, you know, not not something they had ever, any of them had ever seen before. Yeah, and if you think about it, in those days and times, you had very few possessions. And I'm sure the house was not packed full with all kinds of hiding places and no, things. Like things like a where, cabin, you know, know a big yeah. cabin. Yeah, I, I doubt the family would have been unaware of anything that was in that ho- household including where the pencil was, you know? Yeah, yeah. <coughs> that is freaking creepy. So we go from, you know, the the book by M.V. Ingram into, you know, the authenticated version of the Bell Witch that I mentioned um, to uh, uh, Fitzhugh's work, Pat Fitzhugh's work, uh, you know, that I came across on the Internet. Uh-huh. And then we go to modern day. So, you know, modern day, Josh Gates... Uh, Phil Torres and Jessica Chobot go out there on Expedition X uh, to this same town and they go to investigate what's happening because it was a report of several people 
that have seen this giant dog-like creature, no rabbit head, so giant dog-like creature with glowing red eyes. Okay. And then this guy who's a, a, a very experienced caver, you know, a guy that goes down climbing around in caves, went into this uh, uh, cave on the old Bell, uh, Bell, Bell Farm, and um, he climbs down into it, belays down into it with, with some ropes and uh, during the daytime. And he gets attacked by something in the cave that scratches up his arms. And he has pictures of it and stuff like that. He's in the daytime. You know, it's in the daytime. He can see, but he doesn't know what the heck it was. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So it was so in Phil, the cave. It's in the in cave. In the cave while he's walking around in the cave. Uh, so yeah. Phil Torres and Jessica Chobot on Expedition X go back to this cave. They climb down into it. Well, first they meet up with the guy that was attacked. He takes them to the cave, shows it to them. And uh, he's like, they're like, hey, come on. How about you come down with us? He's like, I'll go in any cave in the world, but I'm not going back in that one. Wow. <laughs> wow. And they go down there, and, you know, Phil Torres is the scientist, Jessica's the paranormal researcher, and, you know, a believer, you know, generally believes in whatever's being talked about before they investigate it. Phil is the absolute skeptic, kind of like me. And uh, they go down there in the, in the cave, and um, they, they hear things, like voices, very clear voices that they record on the television show. Mm-hmm. Um, they hear things kind of crawling around. They see uh, paw prints, like from a large dog or wolf, in this cave that you have to belay down into. Yeah. Where but get the... this, Bill. Yeah. Piles and piles of bones. <whistles> and, like, some of the bones look like human bones. Oh, boy. Oh boy. But, I mean... Like more bones than you could ever imagine. I'm not talking about like a few chicken bones or something. Yeah. Bones everywhere. And then they find like an old stub of a candle, too, in amongst the bones. Down there in the cave? Down there in the cave. Wow, man. Yeah. That, Total that, creep fest. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously everybody's listening to this as I am listening to it. And, you know, just think of what happened there. What is yep. your explanation for this situation from start to finish, if you can even come up with one? Well, and see, they, they talk about it that, like, in uh, Wiccan literature, that you have these creatures that they call familiars. Yeah, no Which, doubt about it. Right, that take the form usually of, you know, like a dog or a wolf, not a friendly dog, not mm -hmm. a Labrador retriever, you know, something more large with glowing red eyes, fangs, and pointy ears, not those soft, velvety, floppy ears. Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, <laughs> they, these familiars. So they started to talk about the fact that, you know, maybe this creature that John Bell saw was a familiar of uh, this this spirit, and maybe, in fact, the, you know, they're running into this spirit and it's familiar down in the cave. You know, Kev, I actually, uh, my own personal belief is that the uh, shapeshifter yeah. is a type of familiar. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I don't think I'm coming. Yeah, it may not be coming across in 
my storytelling of this, my retelling of the different things I researched, this is definitely a shapeshifter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's no doubt In about my it. Opinion. My opinion. Uh, familiars are, again, they are brought in by people, some willingly and some unwillingly, just not knowing out of ignorance, delving into things that they shouldn't. Exactly. Uh, hey, let's try this. Yeah, well, you know, uh, how does it start for a lot of people, right? You're bored. You think nobody loves you. My parents never let me do anything. And the next thing you know, you're opening up some book of hoodoo and uh, trying something out in the dark, you know, on a full moon, lighting candles, holding hands. And uh, the next thing you know, all hell is breaking loose, you know? Now, you don't think me reading the authenticated version of The Bell Witch would bring on those types of encounters to you? I do not. Okay, good. Because no. otherwise I'm not going to bed tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Just remember, if you have metal bedposts, Kev, they can't gnaw on them. Oh, that's true. That's true. I'll be okay. <laughs> and you also have Apache gunships. Uh, working the perimeter of your house daily. I could call them in if I had to. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got a strobe going over here. Bring it in. <laughs> here they come. <laughs> oh. Let's have a couple of hellfires. Let me get out of here first. Aptly named. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> But so they they uh, run into, uh, you know, some voices, the bones, the paw prints. And then they actually go out and uh, look for the actual grave, the original grave. Like there's some large grave markers uh, close to town there in Adams, Tennessee today for John Bell and his wife and the family. But there's also like a post there that gives them directions to the original Tombstone, which is in the middle of a forest. They hike out there like a mile away into this forest. They find the original tombstones. Then they go out into the uh, cornfields and they have another encounter with uh, the voices. Oh my God. Yeah, and hearing something around them close by. Big. This, this was after they belayed down into this? Yes, uh... after they did that. So wow. They were like on to something, you know. Or it was on to them. Well, yeah. So get this. The last part I'll talk about. Then they go to the original home site, and there's a well there, right? The classic round water well made out of stone going down into the ground. Right. And um, he's climbing down into the well. Oh, my God. No, and there's like claw marks, Bill, on the sides of the well. Internal. Unmistakable in the stone. Yeah. You know, really, Kev, uh, look, first of all, do you believe that was staged for the TV no, show? No, I don't. I don't. Okay. I, I, I like this show. I like Josh Gates. I mean, I haven't done all the research to see, you know, if they've been accused of faking it or anything. But again, the audience, if you guys know this, tell me. But they come across, you know, the, the folks on the show as legitimate. Yeah. Bill, yeah. Kind of like... Um, uh, what you call it? I can't think of the name. I'm having a mental block. The name. Well, that's of okay. The ranch. You know the ranch in uh, outside Skin, of Vegas. Skinwalker Ranch. Skinwalker. Yeah. Right where they bring in the guys who's like a rocket scientist. You know all kinds of degrees, and he's a skeptic. And then he's like, "Holy cow, man! There's something going on here." Yeah. Yeah. This is real data. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I don't believe they stage it either. The point I was getting at was, really, Kev, uh, I just cannot envision myself getting a rope or a harness put around me after seeing that other stuff and dropping down into a well on this property. I mean, the only thing I could think, Bill, is that the uh, cameraman and the crew that are with them, right, they don't show them, they got like the 50 caliber machine gun loaded up with silver bullets. Yeah, and they're gonna and they're gonna <laughs> unload them down the well shaft exactly. that you're hanging like, in. Let it loose. <laughs> the tracers are flying down there, the ricochets are all over the place. Sorry, Kev. Sorry. We got the familiar. <laughs> the familiar now is not so familiar. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, Bill. So that is, I mean, I told you it's a creep fest. It really is a creep fest. This Bell Witch. Um, and then for you movie buffs out there, it's rumored that the uh, famous or infamous Blair Witch Project, remember that old movie? Jeez, uh, I don't even remember when it was. Um, that was like a little bit of a takeoff of the Bell Witch, modern day takeoff of the Bell Witch. It, it may have been, but, uh, you know, nothing replaces the real thing. Oh, you know? no, no. Oh. Uh, I just, I I never forget uh, Malik, Father Malachi Martin's uh, interviews on uh, Art Bell's uh, infamous broadcast, The Exorcist, Father Malachi Martin. And uh, some of the stories he told as a Catholic exorcist for Rome were just incredible. Now, I know many people will listen to these things, such as the Bell Witch and Father Malachi, God rest his soul, uh, and say, you know, BS. But those people would not be me. <laughs> I, I know the man was telling the truth. Well, and, and like, like I said, Bill, you know, some of the stuff, not this stuff, but stuff, you know, about different creatures and stuff like that, you know, hey, it's okay for people to doubt it, you yep. know, until they see evidence. But, you know, for you and I and our beliefs, you know, we believe in good and evil. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, there's no doubt about it. There is evil out there. Yeah, and it ties, and right, it ties right into Bigfoot, too, right? Uh, it can. It certainly can. And it's all fun and games until it happens to you. Yeah. You know, Bigfoot's a pile of trash, and then you see one. Yeah. Now, I mean, what are you, you going to do about that? Now, you have to deal with it. I mean, the know. quote I always say, which is the one that struck me, was the uh, Whitehall, New York encounter. Right. Going back years where that uh, trooper, lawman, you know, he's like, all of a sudden I look across the hood of my car while he's standing outside and he says, I'm looking at what I had been told for my whole life did not exist. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Well, Kev, that was a great piece on the Bell Witch. And uh, I'm sure the members of the audience uh, appreciate uh, your diligence and what you put into it. And uh, I have something pretty cool here to share. Uh this following sighting was brought to my attention by a hiker named Buster Lang and his wife, Reese. Here is what they saw while on the trail hiking. 
As I told you earlier, Bill, my wife and I are native Oregonians, and we have hiked a fair amount a fair amount of what the state has to offer as far as trails go. It was on September 1st, my birthday as a matter of fact, 2017, that my wife and I had decided on the Table Rock Trail just outside of Molala, Oregon. It is our policy as a couple to never pick easy trails. This one was rated as being moderate and was touted as being about seven miles out and back. So we had picked it as our next victim. We were about a mile and a half in on what I would say was an old logging road when we had come upon a landslide of stone that had blocked the road entirely. My wife and I had made the decision to climb up and around the slide, planning to make our way back down to the road through the timber. I should mention that the area of the uh, slide was surrounded by some type of dense pines. We climbed up on the top of the slide and were making our way across the loose rock when the trees being directly in front of us, uh, with the trees being directly in front of us, when my wife said to me that she just saw something. I said to her, what did you see? We both stopped walking. She said to me, I don't know. It was something tall and reddish brown. It stepped behind that tree. Now, these trees were not solid. By that, I mean that the boughs were so tightly packed together that they presented us with a visual wall. We stood our ground and our eyes were focused on the spot that my wife was pointing to. About a minute later, out from behind this tree steps a Bigfoot into the opening, and it was looking straight at us. I thought I was going to crap my pants. My wife screamed and started to retreat. While keeping my eyes fixed on the beast, I started to backtrack as well, not being willing to wait for a charge or worse. As we made our way now back down the slide, the creature just stood there rocking from side to side and not making so much as a sound. Thank God we hadn't made it into the woods or we would have been face to face with this thing. To me, it was all of six feet tall and perhaps three or more feet wide. It had presented us with a very formidable profile and all I wanted to do was to get as far away from it as quickly as possible. By the time we had made it to the bottom of the slide, it had stepped back into the trees. My wife was in tears and trembling as we started heading back. We hadn't walked 50 feet, having decided to cancel the hike for the day, when another group of three hikers came walking up on us. The people noticed that my wife was visibly shaken and asked if everything was all right, offering their help. My wife said to them, I'm okay, but we just came face to face with a Bigfoot at the top of that slide right over there. 
No sooner had she pointed and everyone was looking than did the creature pop right back out again and was now looking down at all of us. Ten seconds later, we all had sprouted wings and were flying out of the place as fast as we could. When we were all well clear of the area where we had seen the beast, we stopped for a breather, and the group was already formulating all kinds of opinions about the sighting. I said that the Bigfoot didn't exhibit any hostility towards us, in that it didn't growl or try to advance towards us in any way. The other thing was that it seemed as though it wanted to be seen or have some type of contact. It could have easily remained hidden, and yet twice it came into full view, walking out from behind the cover of the pines. Although it was quite large, something about it reminded me of the juvenile squirrels in my own yard. Until they have matured for many months, they exhibit none of the fears or sudden movements of the adults, such as jumping from the feeders when I open the back door, or scampering away when they see me walk across the property. The young ones have no fears or inhibitions. They simply stand their ground and go about their business of survival. We were all in agreement that this Bigfoot appeared to be about six foot tall and had a very stocky build, which according to the tales we heard up until the encounter, was rather small for one of these creatures. Not to be insulting or critical in any way, but its facial expressions were similar. I'm not even going to read this, Kemp, because I know there's some particular people out there. It had unusual facial uh, expressions. That's good. I don't know how else to describe it. Perhaps these creatures also suffer from such maladies as do we humans. Its fur was somewhat the color of wheat after it has dried, and that was mixed with what appeared to be darker brown and almost auburn hues. Its hair was actually quite beautiful and, relatively speaking, very long. The skin on its face as well as its palms was a very dark gray to almost black coloration. At six feet tall, its hands were noticeably twice the size of mine, and I am a double extra large hand size. That's pretty much all I have to say about our sighting. I'm glad to say that in the end, all is well that ends well. What do you think of that, Kev? <laughs> creepy, creepy. Yeah, you know, one of the things about that to me was the man's observation about its size at six feet. But three the, feet wide. Yeah, very like a burly little bugger, you know? Yeah. And uh, But the fact that his observation was uh, that of juvenile behavior based on the way he sees squirrels in his yard behave. Yeah. That was kind of interesting, you know, and it, it's kind of true, right? When something is young, it's kind of, you know, da, 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 you know, walking around. <coughs> it's only when they get older that they get a little antsy, you know? Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. Very weird, too, huh? This thing uh, pop, I mean, popping in and weird. out of them in such a sublime kind of way, you know? Yeah, like, no, I, I'm like, ooh, I 
but but it's strange. I don't think we've heard of one like six feet tall and three feet wide. You know, so it's like it's juvenile, but it's big. You know. Yeah. Well, girthy. You know, it's like the fridge. Yeah, I was thinking it was like the runt of the litter. <laughs> Remember the fridge on the Chicago Bears? Oh, yeah. That's 72, it. William Perry. <laughs> he was like that, just like a cube. Yeah, he was quick as anything, too, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I mean, just that easy, folks, and just that quick, uh, a Bigfoot sighting can begin and end. Mm. And I like what the wife said also. Uh, she was grateful they didn't dip into the woods that they couldn't see into because this thing might have just popped out in front of them like the Blair Witch. Oh, yeah. What a creep fest that is, man. <laughs> the Bell Witch, by the way. Blair oh, Witch yeah, not saying the Blair Witch. Blair the Witch Bell was a Witch. different movie. Ay, 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 ay. So that's, uh, that's the extent of it, man. I mean, yeah, that was... it's in Oregon again, you know. I look up where this trail is, the Table Rock Trail in Molala, Oregon. I, Molala, I been there. Oregon. Yeah, I haven't been there. Yeah, you know, Ooh. again, Kev, it's the people like like you were talking about before the podcast today, how that big uh, uh, helicopter buzzed you guys when you were on that 15-mile hike in that desolate beach. Yeah. And I said to you, you never would have seen that helicopter at that height above you unless you were there in that desolate beach oh yeah yeah they came to check us out They're like hey what are you guys doing over there are you okay exactly and like uh paula and i are down on dune road today riding from uh shinnecock uh down to cupsog which is a long oh, yeah. pretty long stretch down the the barrier fire it's island one of my over. favorite spots yeah it's great so here we are winter time None of the rich folk are in their mansions over there. You know, we're just riding down. There was a couple of guys uh, on surfboards with those big kites pulling them around the bay. Oh, yeah. Kite, kiteboarding. Yeah, so they were kiteboarding in wetsuits. And uh, you know me, the avid bird watcher. So I scoped out this hawk flying over the marsh. And, of course, I pointed out immediately to Paula and uh, here we are rolling along on Dune Road. Uh, and, folks, this is the sole road that rides down this barrier island over here we call Fire Island. Uh, it's marsh, it's dunes, it's reeds, and on the other side is the Atlantic Ocean. And I'm moving along at 30 miles an hour, basically staying with this hawk. And the hawk is flying maybe somewhere between four and six feet off the ground, zooming around on one side of the road, then it crosses in front of me and goes to the left into the weeds, still flying at 30 miles an hour. Hmm. And we watched this thing for about a mile, uh, pacing it with the car. And it just reminded me, Kev, you know, I see hawks because I'm looking for hawks. And I point them out to Paula, you know, and she's getting pretty good at it too now. But people see Bigfoot because they're out there looking. They may not be looking for a Bigfoot, but their eyes are open and their ears are open. And they're kind of in touch with nature. You know what I mean? They're soaking it in, absorbing the day, and then wham, there it is. Mm. 
You know, so to me, it's all the same. You know, if you put yourself in position enough of the time, uh, things are going to happen. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, and just pay attention. Like the old joke is right now nobody sees Bigfoot or they don't see Bigfoot as often because they got their phone in their hands, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Looking at the latest scores and stuff like that. Social yeah, media. Well, yeah, well, look, I mean, you can have a phone in your hand that's capable of taking pictures, but it's not going to take a picture if you're not looking at anything to photograph. Yeah, you walk right by it. I mean, I see it out here on the coast, Bill, where I... I walk down the beach and I see dolphin, as you know, I show you the pictures in the video, almost every time I'm walking on the beach. And also, almost every time I'm walking on the beach, somebody's walking the other way, looking at their phone. You know, and sometimes with little kids looking at their phones and I'll stop them and say, hey, look, look over there, there's dolphin. And they're like, whoa, you know, like, yeah, they're they're glad to see it, right? Oh, they're super excited to see it. But it's like. You know, you don't have to look that hard to see the dolphin. They're right there. Like, sometimes they're like, you know, no kidding. People find it hard to believe, but they're like 50 feet off the beach. Yeah. You could see 10 dolphin. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah it really is incredible, the blindness. But you're not going to see them if you're not looking. Yeah. Now, it always reminds me of Jesus. They have eyes and they see not. <laughs> Truer words were never spoken, right? I'm glad you're quoting Jesus after that evil thing I talked about. Yeah, we'll cleanse you of it. Thank you. (laughs) So what do we got in our listener mail tonight? Oh, we got some good listener mail. Uh, We're going to start with something that had me laughing out loud, Bill. You and I haven't talked about this one, but it's fantastic. So this comes in from Steve from Hampshire, England. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, hi, WJ and Kevin. Just wanted to drop you a line to say where I'm from. I'm (laughs) from Hampshire, a leafy county in south of England that's steeped in folklore. With rolling hills and lots of woods where foul beasties may lurk. (laughs) You remember this one. There's nothing like foul beasties. Foul beasties. And he says, anywho... To the meat and potatoes of my email. I was out night fishing on Loch Ness the other week. When I looked up, saw a bright light. It was a flying saucer that was being piloted by the ghost of D.B. Cooper (laughs) that had a Sasquatch and a dog man fighting on top of it. (laughs) I gasped in disbelief, looked over at Nessie, we shrugged at one another. She dove back into the depths, depths, whilst I cracked open another cold one. It was a frustrating night as I didn't catch any fish. The only thing I caught was an old glass bottle with a map in it to the lost city of Atlantis. Angrily, I threw it back. WJ asked if I was a shapeshifter last time. Uh He's right, I am (laughs) All the beer I'm drinking lately Is shifting my shape dramatically (laughs) Night, night, kiddies Steve (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. It's awesome It is awesome And Steve, I don't think your shape is the only thing that's shifting, brother (laughs) (laughs) But Steve, thank you so much for the the email I mean, uh 
hopefully we make you guys laugh sometimes and definitely some of your emails make us laugh fantastic that was, that was fantastic really good man yeah i read some... that one i read that one out loud to the family uh, kev <laughs> kev you didn't read any of the ones i forwarded to you today did you no so one uh, one of our listeners uh, writes in and he says, you know, something like, Gay hey, Bill and Kev, a while ago you were talking about Sasquatch taking the clothes off of their victim. And I'm thinking to myself. Oh, I actually did see that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I'm saying to myself, were we talking about that? And anyways, he says, like, but if he found their wallet and took out the money, He'd have nothing to do with it because a Sasquatch can only spend cryptocurrency. By the way, that's the same person, you know. Was it? That's Steve from Hampshire. Ah. So, Steve, you got a good sense of humor. So, Steve's working it, man. Steve's working it. He's got a good sense of humor. All right, Steve. Keep us laughing, Steve. Yeah, we'll have to give you some bonus points, Steve. Yeah. Wow, Maybe that's a free trip to the Bell Witch Cave in Tennessee. Yeah, we'll give them free tickets. One way, of course. Well, you won't need the tickets back. And we'll give them a, a half-sheared rope to lower them into the well. <laughs> <laughs> Oops! Sorry, the Steve. Broke. Sorry, Bonk. Steve. <laughs> All right, now we're going uh, to Rich from Southern Alberta. And uh-huh. I think Rich has written in before. He says, I just listened to you talking about how they moved logs down the rivers in the old days and instantly remembered this video. Yeah. I used to see this on TV as a little kid all the time. The first half shows exactly what these crazy guys did for a living. And the second half is pure nostalgia for any Canadian who grew up in the 80s. Hope you like it. And uh, the name of the video clip, which I'll put on our website, I'll probably put it, I'll put it under this episode, um, which is, and the video is called Log Driver's Waltz. Yeah. Uh, if you type that into uh, YouTube, by the way, it'll pop right up. And it's these these river pigs that I talked about. That's not my name for them. You know, they would ride down literally standing on the backs of these logs with uh, big poles to help move the logs along. And when these uh, um, deadheads would get stuck, uh, where, you know, they one part of the log would stick down into the bottom of the river and get stuck on something, and it would hold up the other logs, some of them would actually take an old stick of dynamite out of their little canvas backpack and uh, light it and throw it over there and blow up the logs to keep them moving. You know, Kevin, that's where they got the log rolling competition from it in the lumberjack. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, interesting, you know? Yeah. Yeah, crazy. I was watching that video, and it was kind of cool because it starts off with the real-life footage and then breaks into this cartoon of yeah. this log roller's waltz with the yeah. characters, right? Yeah. It was pretty cool. I mean, uh, I enjoy that, and uh, I enjoy the enthusiasm, once again, of the listeners sending this stuff in, you know? Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Awesome. And our next uh, email comes in from one of our field reporters uh-huh. from down here in the Tar Heel State. It's Yo Vinny from Yo. NC. Yo. So he <laughs> writes in, Vinny, he says, hello, gentlemen. And I use that term lightly. <laughs> in a recent podcast, WJ said that you guys didn't have any fancy letters after your name. 
I think that's where my brother went on a bit of a rant, which I apologize for. <laughs> Some of you actually wrote in about the rant. We won't talk about that. He says, I beg to differ and would like to officially label you both with the credit you both deserve. Indeed. From this day forward, you'll be known as William J. Sheehan, Ph.D., mm-hmm. professional hairy man delineator. <laughs> Kevin Sheehan, MD, mystery delineator. And he says, don't forget to get your fancy license plates. Yeah, Love the podcast yeah. and keep up the great work. Yo, Vinny from NC. Yo. Yo. <laughs> Vinny, I can't wait to see you one of these days. You know, they're, they're lifting the curfew tomorrow here in North Carolina. Not because of riots, but but because of COVID. We're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And now we can stay out past 10 o'clock at night. Great. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Well, we're Do- getting there. We're doesn't getting really there. affect me much, but it's still good to see them lift the curfew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, remember, you can't stay out after 10 unless your wife will let you. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the next Lex letter uh, comes in from Eric in Maine. You talked about, Bill, where uh, his son uh, wrote in wrote in, and uh, uh, he says, put, put yours and Kevin's idea on paper. And it's fantastic. Uh, you know, that image that his son drew, I got it up on the refrigerator, a printout of it. Uh-huh. And he says, by the way, Bigfoot is called Pumala here in Maine which he says must be a Native American name. I haven't heard that one, Bill. Have you? Pumala? Yeah, the the translation of Pumalo is uh, rip your head off. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's the loose translation. Ah. Uh, some even say, uh, we'll snap you in two. Yeah. So when you say, you know, Pumala, it's like, you know, get away quick. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and I want to do a shout out to Roman. Roman's one of the folks that put in, uh, sent in like a artwork quality, ready for a T-shirt image, uh, multicolor of Bigfoot with a pair of flight goggles, open cockpit, flying a UFO. That was a great job, fantastic, Roman. Roman. Fantastic. Yeah, and we might, you know, Kev, more than likely, we'll probably end up getting back to a couple of these uh, 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 listeners and trying to make use of what they drew up or even hit them up with something else, you know? Oh, no doubt a, about it. A variation I mean, really? thereof, you know? Because, I mean, if you're capable of doing that type of work, you could, you know, the sky's the limit, you know? And then, and then Jimmy... You sent in a cartoon uh, drawing, again, Bigfoot flying the, sauce, flying the flying saucer with the goggles on, open cockpit. And then if you look at this one, uh, he's got uh, two guys standing on the ground waving to Bigfoot flying by in the UFO. And one of them says WJ on his shirt, and the other one says Kev. And I'm like, Jimmy, you're definitely on the fridge, man. That thing yeah, is awesome. Yeah, but the only thing is, Kev... No offense, Jimmy, but the two cats on the ground look a little chintzy. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to draw me and my brother, I mean, you got to show a little grit, bro. 
I think the two guys on the ground should have been carrying like a rocket launcher. I'm with you there. And a, a, a 50 cal off the tripod. I want or the something. John Rambo with uh, all the 50 cal bullets roped around me. Yeah, a couple of bandoleros. Maybe, and a, uh, maybe a big knife on my hip. Yeah, and a crappy cigar hanging out of your pussy. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. But I love I love it, Jimmy. It's awesome. So if you want to update it with us holding some serious ammo, that would be pretty cool. Yeah, Jim. Maybe a, balloon, it, maybe a balloon coming out of my brother's head that says, always carry more gun than yeah! you think you're going to need. Yeah, now you're talking. Now remember, we're cooking with gas. Remember the old Sergeant Rock comic books? <laughs> he, he always looked Dirty and he was all messed up, and the machine gun would be going off, Buddha, 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 Buddha. You know, <laughs> branches were like flying off of the trees. You know, <laughs> that's the, that's the action. Now we're, we're cooking, for, brother. <laughs> Bring it on. And our last letter bill comes in from Ron Conkamaloo. Louis. Louis. Of course, Bill and I are from Lake Ron <laughs> and Lou's writing in about drones after I posted the uh, cool drone imagery of my buddy and I walking on the 15-mile hike down the beach a couple of weekends ago. And Lou writes, you guys should definitely get drones. They are amazing. You can have them circle you, film you, kids' sporting events, go for a bike ride, hike, fishing in the woods, hunting for Bigfoot and set them to follow him. <laughs> and he's right. And Lou, you know, I do have a pretty awesome drone, but I got to learn how to make this thing work. And my yeah. friend who I was hiking with, Bill, I don't know if I told you, he had his on voice recognition. Wow. So, you know, he's holding the controller and he says, hey, drone, follow me. And uh, the thing is following us and shot that footage. So he didn't even have to pick anything on the menu. That's what I need. Wow. The voice command drone. Can you imagine how far these things are to go? Will go as we move forward oh, from where they've come and say the past ten years to now. Oh, you haven't seen the one I have, Bill. I'll bring it up uh, as soon as we get out of this COVID, and you'll be blown away at this thing. One, two, it is so easy to fly, uh-huh. and the camera is so high quality, and then the intelligence of the thing is fantastic, and it'll fly in up to I think thirty-five mile an hour winds for thirty-two minutes. Wow. And 32 minutes is a long time. Especially against 35 mile an hour winds. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, you know, you're like, okay, I'm done with this at 30 something minutes. (laughs) Drone, come back. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. So that's it this week, Bill. Excellent podcast. Uh, Folks, love the five star reviews. Uh, If you haven't left us a five star review lately, Please give us one right now from your favorite podcast player. And your five-star reviews are critical because it's really the only way that we attract new listeners to the podcast. And if we get new listeners, which we do every week and every month, which is fantastic, we're able to continuously increase the quality of the podcast and stay on schedule with weekly podcast publication. So thank you so much for those five-star reviews. Yeah, awesome. And folks, remember, if you find yourself walking down the Table Rock Trail with your bride, and if you love her, always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.